0: Welcome to We Grow California with your hosts, Darcy Villery
1: and Darcy Burke,
0: a safe place where we discuss water, agriculture, and everything that makes California grow.
1: We have guests from those who just drink water to those that make water policy, all passionate about the water issues that face all Californians today.
0: Join the conversation by liking, subscribing, and visiting our website, wegrowcalifornia.com. Let's get the conversation started.
1: Welcome in everybody. Today we're very excited to have Mike Wade, the executive director of the California Farm Water Coalition, which is a nonprofit public education organization formed to help consumers make the connection between farm water and their food supply. So welcome in Mike. And and I just want to add Darcy and I have been talking about consumer education since we started this podcast. Oh, yeah. So we're very excited to have someone that this is what you do. This is your purpose. This is your mission. Um, We started this podcast to educate people about water and ag and policymakers. But this is what you do for a living. So we're very excited to have you in. So thank you for joining us today, Mike.
2: Well, thank you, Darcy. And to you, Darcy, it's my pleasure. I'm delighted to be here.
0: I've heard of the California Farm Water Coalition a lot. And I'm genuinely curious. Uh, how you were formed, and how do you go about educating the consumers?
2: Well, our organization was formed uh, back in 1989. I think that was around 34 years ago. And it was conceived by public water agencies in the agricultural sector who wanted to see more education on consumer food and water issues rather than form another lobbying organization and at the time our founding board members felt that the the lobbying issues were being covered very well by other agricultural organizations we didn't need to replicate that kind of success and so uh, their mission was to develop an education organization which is what we became and what we have been ever since Uh, we don't do any lobbying Uh, we're a nonprofit charitable organization and our mission is to educate consumers about the water farmers use to grow our food.
1: That's awesome. I don't know if your founders would still say that the lobbying's being taken care of, but <laughs> but we'll we'll focus on your mission instead. Um, for those of us that have driven up I five interstate, and Mike, just so you know, we have uh, listeners that listen from all over the world. We're we're pretty fortunate in that arena. And so the I-5 literally drives through the middle of of California. So there are several signs along the way, many of them on cotton trailers, which a cotton trailer was something that I learned about a number of years ago, which is actually a big uh, structured trailer, doesn't have sides usually, and you can put banners and signs on them. It makes a great billboard. But one of the ones I've seen for quite some time, and yes, there are others that I don't know if we want to talk about, is Food Grows Where Water Flows. How long has that campaign been in place and what has been the response?
2: The Food Grows Where Water Flows uh, message that uh, that we developed goes back to probably uh, 1992 or 93, and it was the result of some brainstorming uh, from our board and looking at uh, finding the right message that's positive that helps consumers understand that that connection between farm water and our food supply. So we we actually have a couple of different. Uh, slogans. The food grows where water flows has been our most popular. Farm water feeds the nation is another one uh, that we've had in the past. And water grows food and clothes. So uh, tipping our hat a little to the cotton industry that was very, very a very big part of California agriculture in the 80s and 90s, and uh, has uh, declined somewhat since then as different crops. Have replaced cotton in the San Joaquin Valley, uh, crops that pay the higher and higher costs that it takes to farm in our state, our
0: our overregulated state.
1: No, really, overregulated, Darcy? Have you heard of such a thing?
0: I, I you know, my thing is always, there is a lot of regulations and the smaller you are, the worse it is in, in a lot of respects, because you get, still got to meet up with whatever the big guys deal with to the bigger guys. It's not as bad or doesn't seem as bad because they have a staff member that does it. And then a smaller ones is the guy who deals with a lot of it. Yeah, I can definitely it, it has its moments where I'm like, <laughs> why are we even doing this? Um, and I'm kind of wondering and that which which brings me to one of my questions, almost backing up slightly. So what was it in the late 80s? Was it a specific thing? Like, was there a specific driving event that uh, made the founding members feel like there, there? What the disconnect was? Like, what? Like, was there something that made them feel like there was a disconnect there between the water and uh, and what food was being grown? I'm, I'm curious. Was the driving force, and has it evolved now? You know, today is it a different? You feel like there's a different kind of disconnect.
2: Well, at that time, and even through to today, there has been this continual drumbeat that farmers use eighty percent of California's water which is just incorrect, it's false, and it's uh, an error of omission, if you will, uh, where those that were criticizing farmers then and continue today uh, leave a big component out of California's water balance, and that's the environment. Uh, If you look at just agricultural and urban water use from our developed water supply, it's about an 80-20 split. But a few years ago, in 2014, in, in the last big drought, Governor Brown was speaking at uh, the Calusa Farm Show when he said, people need to understand that in California, 50% of our water goes to protect the environment. And around forty percent goes to agriculture, and ten percent goes to urban water use. And I don't. Hey, Mike,
0: think can I can I cut in there too? I think I need to remind people that, like you said, you use the magic words. I think it was developed water. Yep. Like I think there is some kind of understanding that somehow every last drop of water in California is managed and controlled by the government. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's really more like okay, there's half of the rain and snow that lands on the state. Like there's the total amount. Half of that just happens. We have basically no control over where it goes. We don't it it doesn't right correct me darcy like it kind of goes where it goes then of the other half we control that other half and we take half of that for specific environmental uses isn't that right
1: yeah i would say that that's a that's a fair statement and i'd also add to mike's comment that the uh, public policy institute of california also confirmed those numbers right and i always like yeah, to say yeah it's it's
0: a known yeah. thing like yeah, mike we, was we said just kind of gets skipped on this over we never the show that
1: that ag takes 80% that's We do our best to educate people. And I would even say when we have restrictions in place, egg doesn't get 40%. Yeah.
0: But, but the, it is to the fact that it's like 75% really goes to the environment, which is, you know, I don't necessarily think that's bad. I just don't like the fact that it's perceived that we take 80 when in reality, we're not, the total amount is much more for the environment.
2: Right. And what we found over the years is um, generally speaking, people don't get caught up in the numbers anymore. Uh, We've had folks in urban areas tell us, you know, 20%, 80%, 50%, I don't care what farmers are using as long as you're growing food that I can't produce myself and that you're being responsible stewards of the resource. And we can show year in and year out how California farmers are very, very efficient. They use the most up-to-date technology. Uh, They manage water very, very well in in a different way than I think our urban cousins do, but in a way that's efficient on the farm, uh, managing, using and reusing water to the point where some folks say by the time it makes its way to the, the Pacific Ocean, it's one of the hardest working resources in the in the state. But farmers do that, they invest in technology and they implement it when it's affordable, when it's available and use it to produce the food that people want at the grocery store. That's what it's all about.
1: So Mike, I just have to ask you a question because whether it's other policymakers that I run into in Southern California and and consumers, th- those individuals don't necessarily think that farmers are making the most of the water they use. I, I hear all the time, if you're growing almonds, you're wasting water. If you're growing cotton, you're wasting water, right? That the misconception of growing food Somehow has to equate to what they think is a wise use of water and the and the numbers do matter the mis the missed numbers out there the wrong numbers um i, I had someone tell me the other day that every single almond takes ten to fifteen gallons i'm like what what math are you using?
2: Yeah, none of that pencils out uh, when you really look at the Uh, the water use figures for agriculture and the production figures. But one thing that I think people miss uh, the point on is that farmers aren't the ones that ultimately make the decision on what they plant. And that may sound crazy because if I'm farming a field and I make a decision what I'm planting, farmers plant the things that people are buying. And there's a big market for almonds here and around the world. And those almonds are part of an international trade process where we get things that are produced in other countries. We produce things here, whether it's almonds or aircraft engines or uh, extension cords or any, whatever you might think that we're producing that goes overseas, that's part of the balance of trade. And agriculture is really the big industry that helps balance California's uh, trade with other nations. But again, Farmers plant the crops that they know they're going to be able to sell. And if somebody's buying almonds or processing tomatoes or um, lima beans, that's what's going to get planted. As a consumer, you have a huge power over what farmers plant and you send that signal by what you buy at the grocery store.
0: Yeah, I feel like I'm always reminding people it's that. Because I, you know, I work with inside an allocation and now because of Sigma, I work, you know, people, the groundwater situation, you work inside a certain number. And because you you see online, like cotton was the big bad back in the 70s. It's like, there's too much of this. And it's like, no, guys, at the end of the day, like you said, you're, it's it's what makes money. And as long as I'm using inside that number, you shouldn't worry so much about what I'm planting. I'm going to be meeting market forces with that, right? So, yeah, it's just... It seems silly You want to, to go out even the talk when people say we need to ban a specific crop. It's like, listen, I have my issues with almonds, but I don't think we should be outright banning them just because we think, we think, again, back that they take a lot of water. When it's all ag anyone eats from anywhere takes a lot, air quotes, a lot of water, you know, like you apply it, it gets up through the plant. Tomatoes, I learned I didn't even really fully appreciate this. Until uh, I learned something from Morningstar a few years ago from their uh, one of their researchers. It's like, you realize the plant absorbs it, then like 97% of that mo- water just goes through its own evaporative process back out the plant into the atmosphere. Right. right? We actually so, had a
1: session or a, um, an episode about how some in the plant, they're, the actual processing part, they're capturing.
0: Oh, these, yeah. And, and then there's things. in the actual Not processing the plant. plant in the yeah. Field,
1: but all these other things, right? And it goes back to. Mike, just what you do, what your mission and your purpose is, is is educating consumers. We like to say here to remind people that farming without financial incentive is called gardening, right? That just because a farmer is profitable because he has, first of all, risked it all, and then there's a reward, is not a bad thing. We all benefit from
2: it. That's right. And I think one of the things uh, that consumers probably aren't aware of is the amount of farmland that's being lost in California. Over the last 20 to 30 years, we've lost a million acres of irrigated farmland. And there's another million acres at risk right now because of water supply shortages. And when we look at the investments in infrastructure that are needed to build uh, new storage facilities to capture water when it's wet, especially in a year like this, when tremendous supplies were available, uh, there was little we could do but fill our existing reservoirs and then divert that water to groundwater replenishment. Which um, I, I have to give credit, uh, the state was was flexible and in the regulatory process in allowing some of those diversions so that water could make it into the ground. So those things are helpful.
1: So I'm sorry, you're giving the state credit for doing what they should have done in the first place, allowing water to recharge on a in a state that's adopted. The Sustainable Groundwater Management Act, and and that's what they want. I'm you're, you're much kinder than I am, Mike.
2: Well, in our, our bureaucratic process, there was a permitting uh, a permitting process that uh, had to go through farmers had and other water users went through that uh, took a lot of time through the state water board, and some of those uh, regulatory impediments were suspended to allow more water to be diverted. Uh, during flood periods and just to use common sense and get that water into the ground. So we were grateful for that. But I think more importantly is it, is it has set uh, a precedent for the future that we showed this year how water management flexibility can capture more water and make it available for the future. Um, that's important for consumers because when we look at the food production in the state and, and the rest of the country, we're seeing this almost geometric increase in the amount of food that's coming from other countries. Uh, If we look at, say, uh, vegetable production going back to the 1980s, it was around 7% of the amount of water uh, or the amount of uh, 7% of the consumed vegetables in the U.S., and that has since gone up to 38%, so 38% of the vegetable consumption in the US is filled by producers in other countries. Uh, It's even worse on fruit. We look at uh, changes anywhere from 23% in the 1980s up to 63% now. So uh, vast, vast increases in the amount of food that we're depending on from foreign entities. And when we look at the situation with the war in Ukraine and the uh, the reduction in the amount of wheat that went overseas from Ukraine to fill the demands. It created a ripple effect that hit us here in the United States and maybe not as severe as some African countries might have seen that are direct beneficiaries. But we saw increases at the grocery store that hit us uh, when that war came uh, broke out and those higher prices are still with us today. And it's more than just wheat. It's anything that we look at from other countries that we depend on where we're not in control of production, we're at risk of of losing the variety, the quality, and the price on the products that we could grow here at home and do more efficiently with less environmental impact uh, than we see in other countries.
0: I would tack onto that dependability because I worry about, you know, I've watched like asparagus production moved to Mexico and we've all watched avocados and and a bunch of other products like you're talking about. And the thing is, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I don't know. I don't, there is no Sigma in Mexico. Nope. Right. There is no, I I don't know how they, I, I know that in my, my wife's small town, they've had drought-related issues from farming down there. It's like, well, guys, you need to be doing something about this. Because my concern is that we're going to retire a million acres here from one of the most dependable regions in the world to farm. And then you're going to be depending on all this, you know, this support or product coming in from out of the country. And then one year you're going to like hitting a brick wall, like you're talking about with Ukraine, just it's not there. And, well, we're not making it here. And so you're back to prices and everything going crazy because you just weren't, you weren't ready for it, you know? I'm not trying to cut off anything from there, but it's like you can't, it, it to me, they're converging at a point where it's going to be real dangerous, I think, just for people, just food supply in general.
1: I think it's a national security issue. It's not just yeah, a food so. security issue. It's a national food security. And when I hear people like, oh, I only want organic or I only want X or Y, I can guarantee you the the hoops that you jump through, Darcy and others, when they decide to go, organic and and the investment that is they're not making those same types of investments in other countries they may stick a label on it that says it's organic but how do you how do you even know and when you talk about labor issues and and the regulations we put in in california to protect and and um, ensure it's a safe work environment that that's not happening in other countries I, i can guarantee you that too
2: Our farmers are farming under a strict regulatory scheme, and we talked about this at the beginning of the podcast, but the regulations that are in effect here are protecting consumers, they're protecting workers, they're protecting the environment, and they're not generally in place in other countries where you've got deforestation in the Amazon region for the sake of agriculture. You've got chemicals that are being used in other Latin American countries that are illegal to be used to use here in California. And yet there's little concern uh, at the grocery store when people are buying products because they're cheaper or they're available when our farmers are struggling to stay in business and to keep land in production and to keep growing the things that people say they want when they buy them at the grocery store.
1: I don't think consumers read the label. Right. Like, you know, I, I'm a big Instacart fan because I'm a busy person, but all my notes and all my produce say if it's not made in America or USA, do not. I'll, I'll go with that. I'll figure something else out. Right. But people just see when you ask people, uh, where does your food come from? Where do, where do they tell you? The
2: grocery store.
1: It's like when I ask people, where does your water come from? The tap. Oh, that's great.
2: (laughs) That's exactly right. And uh, again, going back to the purpose of our organization is to educate consumers. Um, One of the newer ways we have done that is through uh, social media influencer tours. And for the last 11 years, we've conducted 20 tours and had 40 different people over that time period come to the farm, learn about water use and agriculture, and learn about the care that California farmers put into producing food. And the audience, the collective audience, of those 40 social media influencers is in the hundreds of millions, no doubt. And that they can carry that message to their audience is a fantastic opportunity. We just finished a tour in the fresno county area and we have another one coming up in the sacramento valley on october 6th 7th and 8th and we're excited to bring people that typically don't see how food is produced out to the farm ride a tractor maybe drive a harvester and take part in the food production that's going on that they typically don't see. That's
0: awesome. What's, what's the thing I always like to ask when people like that come up, what's it, have you noticed, what is the thing that surprised them about California agriculture, anything that stands out that you've noticed that they've been like, what,
2: what has surprised or what they've been most vocal about is how. Hands-on California farmers are and how much they care about what they do and the pride in what they produce and, and the care that they have for their employees. I think Joe Delboski has been one of your uh, past uh, podcast guests. And I can't think of anyone better than Joe Delboski as an example on taking care of employees, having people that have worked for him for 20 years or more that come back year after year. And they are skilled labor. They're skilled in selecting crops and, and harvesting and getting the, the the organic produce that Joe grows and getting it to the grocery store. I think the stability that's in agriculture and the concern over the threats to California agriculture was the biggest thing that uh, that was vocalized by the influencers that we've taken on tours.
1: So are these national influencers, Mike, that come out to California?
2: um they're they're both within California and outside of the state so we did have somebody from Texas on this last one uh somebody familiar with the cattle industry but just as naive about crop production and so her audience got the same uh the same image from new eyes seeing agriculture uh from a perspective that they hadn't seen before and that was somebody who was familiar in general with agriculture
1: that's awesome I, I mean I know that you and I have talked about those social media influencer um, tours, and I know the exchange contractors do a really good job of getting policymakers to the valley to to see firsthand. And and we were fortunate enough to interview um, Senator Kelly Suarto on his tour and how it made a difference to making policy. Right to to really understand what's going on before you make a lot of assumptions. So kudos to you for that. That's a great.
2: The uh, legislator tours are fantastic. We've done some of those in the past as well. Um, But I think the remarkable comment that came from our tour uh, last month was from uh, a mom that has her own Instagram and blog online in San Diego. And she said that the tour was life-changing for her, the understanding about what goes on in agriculture and um, the the care that, as I said, that farmers put into growing the products and the hands-on attitude. We're not talking about faceless corporations here. We're talking about people that live on the land, that touch the soil with their hands, and they use the resources that they have to grow food that we buy at the grocery store. It's, it is as basic as that. And I wish everybody in California could see it.
1: So I have to, to ask a question. So um, our audience is growing, which we're very grateful for. And we do have a lot of policymakers that actually tune in. So how can our audience get involved, Mike, and support what your organization is doing or to find a way to participate in some of these tours you're doing?
2: Well, we have uh, a pretty active social media presence, uh, not only with the Farm Water Coalition uh, on Instagram and Facebook uh, with the tag at Farm Water, but we also manage a program called Cultivate California that is uh, a branded Consumer outreach program directly tied to food and the benefits of agriculture, growing the food that we buy at the store. So, um, cultivatecalifornia.com is there. It's also on Instagram at at ca uh, at cultivate ca, and uh, and then our um, our Facebook page, Food Grows Where Water Flows, is they're all chock full of information and examples of what farmers are doing. Or if people want to contact us here at the Farm Water Coalition, they can do that at farmwater at farmwater.org. Perfect.
0: That was great. I was gonna say, Mike, that's almost parting thoughts. Is there any other final thoughts you'd like to add before we wind this up?
2: Well, I've been doing this now for 25 years. And it is remarkable to me the um, interest that the general public has in where their food comes from. They think they don't, but when there's an opportunity to talk to them. Um, and learn about farming in California. It's remarkable that, uh, and in a sense, maybe not remarkable that people have that that they hold farmers in high esteem. That farmers are among the most trusted members of our community, and I think people see that and they believe it. And when we can get them out to the farm, it reinforces that uh, just as well.
1: So one one last question for you, Mike. That was a, a great observation. So what's the next 25 years look like?
2: For me or for agriculture?
1: For agriculture. (laughs) I don't want to hear about any retirement plans. Thank you very much.
2: For agriculture, um, you know, it's going to be coalition building. It's going to be working with our policymakers so that they understand the value and the importance of supporting farmers here in the Golden State. It's working with other people in the Western United States that are food producers to make sure that our federal policies that govern Western water use are sound and they make sense, and that uh, you know we get we get positive outcomes on negotiations, for instance, on the Colorado River, so that California continues to be a food producer. The major winter vegetable production area in in the the U.S. is right down in the Imperial Valley, and for people to understand the importance and the value of our domestically produced food production uh, is key to a long-term agriculture industry in California.
1: Great. Well, this has been great, Mike. Um, I'm so grateful that you took the time to join us. I know I've been kind of hounding you. Um, Hopefully you enjoyed it. I'm going to speak for both of us. We'd love to have you back. Darcy, any final words you want to add? Thanks for joining us, everyone, and tune in next time.
0: You've been listening to a We Grow California podcast. If you have a question you'd like us to answer or would be interested in being a guest, please check out our website, wegrowcalifornia.com. Sound and audio engineering provided by postandjam.com.